Well, if you've got Bibles tonight, we can turn to Colossians. We're going to spend time uh, in Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to um, start reading from the first verse. We're going to read right through to the 17th verse together, and then we're going to kind of look at this passage together and allow it, my prayer is tonight, to touch our lives um, in what I think are some really important ways uh, tonight. I'm, I'm feeling quite, I was telling some of the guys, I'm being very discipled by this passage this week as I prepare. Uh, and my prayer is that you would join me in that place of allowing God through His Word to disciple you tonight, to shape you, to form you into the likeness of Christ. Let me read for us from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked... And you were living in them, but now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian. Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Who am I? <laughs> this question of identity, this simple but um, seems like relentless question in many of our lives, who am I? A question, the pursuit of, an answer to, it dominates much of modern Western mind in our day. To be a man or woman in Canada today, I think is to be incessantly confronted with this question on almost every front. As it relates to your purpose, your relationships, your sexuality, your value as a human being, an employee, 
a family member, a friend, even in places where only a generation ago we never would have thought the question would be being asked, in places like gender. And typically in our day, the suggested method of self-discovery that's encouraged in books and on social media and in counseling rooms and Canadian schools and universities, seminar, seminars and blogs and even often in the church today, is when confronted with the question about who I am, I should take a hard look at me. Want to know who you are? You need only to strip everything else away and really get acquainted with yourself as a unique and a autonomous man or woman who is free from the concern of what others think of you and the labels that society and culture would try and place on you. Sound familiar? You've probably heard that in some form, in some way, be it through Instagram or through lectures. It just kind of depends on what season of your life you're in and where the loudest voices are. But in culture, this is sort of the instruction or the invitation or even encouragement that's given to us where we bump into this question of identity. Who am I? The cultural fixation on the self, I think, is evidenced by the laundry list of self-focused notions that dominate our lives. Let me give you a couple. We're very concerned in our culture with self-esteem with self-actualization, with self-discovery, with self-care. And many in our world today pour a massive amount of energy into capturing the perfect selfie. Colossians chapter 3, as Paul speaks into the lives of disciples of Christ, is an incredible, um, incredible piece of discipleship, an incredible message that, that, that rings out and I think clashes in many ways with the cultural voice that speaks to this place of identity, this search for self, this search for the answer to this question of who I am. I think here what we find really is a biblical approach to self-regard. How should I see myself? How should I relate to myself? What, in what way does the Bible teach us to look at this? And I think today this is an area where I'm excited to lean into this tonight, but in this season as a church. What does the Bible have to offer in answer to this pursuit of a clear sense of self? It's certainly a pursuit and a question that I think is right in us. It makes sense that it's there. I don't think that we should get down on ourselves for wanting an answer to this question. I just would like us to not spend a whole lot of energy and time spinning our tires in no helpful direction, which seems to be the case often when we take the world's cue and way of trying to get a clear sense of who I am. Here in Colossians 3, I think we find a clear sense of self is actually something that we can have as those who follow Jesus. And in fact, 
if anyone should have it, and you'll maybe, this will make sense to you by the end of my message, a son or daughter of God should have it. Paul presents here, as he consistently does throughout his letters to the churches, an alternative to what I think is a highly individualized and egocentric approach to a true and clear sense of identity that we are often faced with on a daily basis as Canadians. Now, I want to give a lot of credit to Timothy Keller tonight because when I went to this passage and started to um, see this and pull this out, I went to look for some help and to make sure I wasn't crazy, and I found a little book by Timothy Keller that um, if, if, you'll hear my message tonight, but if you want the good one, go and read a little book by Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I'll post it with the sermon on our website when I post it later this week. Let me share with you a quote from Timothy's book that will help us to kind of start our conversation tonight. You can throw that first quote up there. Up until the 20th century, traditional cultures, and this is still true of most cultures in the world, always believed that too high a view of yourself was the root cause of all the evil in the world. What is the reason for most of the crime and violence in the world? Why are people abused? Why are people cruel? Why do people do bad things that they do? Traditionally, the answer was hubris. The Greek word meaning pride or too high a view of yourself. Traditionally, that was the reason given for why people misbehave. But in our modern Western culture, we've developed an utterly opposite cultural consensus. The basis of contemporary education, the way we treat incarcerated prisoners, the foundation of most modern legislation, and the starting point of modern counseling is exactly the opposite of the traditional consensus. I want you to, as we talk about this tonight, to, I'm going to encourage you to join me in a desire or, or a, an attempt to humble ourselves. And part of the humility starts with this. I am going to start by admitting and acknowledging that I am a Canadian. That I was born and raised in a modern Western worldview and culture. I think sometimes we come to these things and we know the right answers. We know what Jesus would say. And it feels really hard for us to connect with the fact that not only is the world out there wrestling with these things and struggling with these worldviews that are counter to the gospel, but so am I. Because I came by them honestly, right? I grew up in this time even. And so I would just encourage you as you hear this today to allow yourself to go there and recognize that I think Paul has something to say to you tonight. Remember that you're Canadian, and let us tonight submit our cultural ideas and worldviews to the culture of the kingdom. One that is often referred to as upside down. You know why we call the kingdom of God upside down? Because it's upside down from ours. 
It, it often seems almost the opposite of ours, even when we read of it in the Scriptures. And tonight, it's definitely going to hit you that way. I'd like us to consider tonight a biblically formed and a gospel-shaped approach to self-regard. I think if we can catch this tonight, it would change our lives in a dramatic way. And if it could work its way into the fabric of the message of the gospel that we share with the world around us, the value of what we share would go through the roof. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul speaks of both an old self and a new self. Did you catch that in the middle of the passage? It starts right about verse 9. He starts to talk about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. This suggests that the old was replaced by something new when you came into life with Christ. When you came into relationship with Jesus and made him Lord of your life, and if you've not done that yet tonight, the invitation to do that is there for you tonight. That when we put our life in Christ, what was is no longer. The old self was put off and a new self was put on. Was restored. Was renewed to us. And the idea here of the old and new self suggests strongly that the gospel offers an important be it radically different answer to the question of identity than we can know apart from the work of Jesus in our lives. In other words, to ask the question of identity, who am I, is a very, has a very different potential to it when asked of your Creator. When asked in relationship with Jesus than it does apart from Him. Look at verses 5 to 9 again, where Paul takes a moment to describe the old self. So we get a clarity about what it is that's being put off. He says, Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie. This, this old self, Paul is very acquainted with because Paul has put it off. But before he put it off, he walked in it. And he's saying to the church of, of the Colossians, but he's saying to us tonight, you get it too. Because you walked in those places. Yourself was marked by these things. The old self really, in many ways, if you look through that list, is, as Timothy was saying before, much of humanity has seen and understood the result of an egocentric and hyper-individualized approach to life. When I become the center of my world, and I become autonomous from you in the greatest sense, the kinds of things that we read in that old self start to come flying out. 
When asking questions of identity, a centralization of self as the source of revelation or answer to that question, the centralization of self as a focus will ultimately throw you into a dance. And it will be a dance that you will wrestle through until you come out from under it. And it's a dance between low self-esteem and high self-esteem. Low self-esteem and hubris. Too low a view of yourself and too high a view of yourself. And you will just walk through life dancing, fighting to try and pin down the perfect balance between the two and never getting it right. And as long as you have this low sense of self or too high a sense of self, the ultimate outflow of that will be dark. It will be sinful. I'll tell you, you want to see Chad on his worst day? Get me feeling insecure. Get ugly really fast. Just ask her. But many of you who know me well know that it's not a very good day when I start to think too much of myself either. What starts to come out of these places is what we read in Colossians 5, verse 3, verses 5 to 9. But, Paul says, look at what happens in this when we put on the new self. We're going to jump ahead. We'll start in verses 12 to 17. And I want you to hear these things together and ask yourself the question, doesn't this sound, I'm going to read this, doesn't this sound like the kind of person you want to be and the kind of person that you want to be around? Listen, listen to this today. Verses 12 to 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. And on it goes. Doesn't that sound more like the kind of person you want to be? It's certainly the, more the kind of person that I want to be and certainly the kind of person that I want to be around. And what I would point out to you now is in the title of Keller's book, he uses this phrase, self-forgetfulness. And I loved it. If we take all these self-esteem and self-actualization and self-whatever, Timothy, Timothy says, I think the only thing we need to worry about is self-forgetfulness. And I think that in the same way that the byproduct of this egocentric, hyper-individualized sense of life leads to the first part of Colossians, it is a self-forgetfulness that leads to the second part. It's the person who is not so concerned with themselves that begins to walk out these beautiful qualities of meekness and humility and love and forgiveness. You know, it is very hard to forgive when I'm thinking too little or too much of me. Good luck. Right? And so here Paul says we want to put off the old self and put on the new self. And key to it, Timothy Keller would suggest, is this, this, this work of self-forgetfulness. Well, how, how does one put off this old self and put on the new exactly? How exactly does this work? Well, it all starts, I think, and I'll read you another quote from Timothy Keller here. 
It all starts when we free ourselves and become not as much free ourselves, but are freed by God from the place of judgment. Become free from a place that's really concerned with others' opinions of us. Now, what's interesting is the world around us just jumps up and says, yes, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And Paul says, good. Can I push it one step further? You shouldn't care what you think about you either. What? I thought that was the whole thing. Paul's like, no, not at all. You've come free from judgment, both of others, but two of yourself, that you are not the one who, who follows these things through, who makes sense of these things. Hear what Keller says about it. We cannot do it. Do you know why? Because we are judging ourselves. But Paul will not do that. When he says that he does not let the Corinthians judge him, nor will he judge himself, he's saying that he knows about his sins but he does not connect them to himself and his identity. His sins and his identity aren't connected. He refuses to play that game. He does not see a sin and let it destroy his sense of identity. He does not make a connection. Neither does he see an accomplishment and congratulate himself. He sees all kinds of sins in himself and all kinds of accomplishments too, but he refuses to connect them with himself or his identity. So although he knows himself to be the chief of sinners, this fact is not going to stop him from doing the things that he's been called to do. And my, I find myself rattled. Wow, Lord. Help me tonight. Something starts to stir in me of a desire to see something happen in my life. Key to this passage is verses 9 to 11, and I'll Read verse 10 to you. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Herein lies the secret. Herein lies the gold. Where does Paul go to find his sense of self? Paul was surrounded by a Greek-thinking world. The idea of the ego and this focus on the self started in his day and all around him. And Paul does not buy what they're selling. Where does Paul go to find his sense of self? Pure, simple, and only, he goes to the gospel of Jesus. The new self is renewed, to use the language of Colossians 3 verse 10, is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And when it speaks of the creator, there it's very clearly speaking of Jesus. Earlier in Colossians chapter 1, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and you are no exception. The way of the modern Western world that encourages us to look at ourselves when seeking a true sense of self 
will never work because it's void of the power of the gospel. The fact that we struggle to know who we are is actually a consequence of the fall. Adam and Eve before the fall didn't ask that question. It was in the place of sin that they began to wrestle with this, this dance between thinking too little of themselves and too much of them, and the whole thing got thrown, and they're, they're trying to figure out, am I okay? Who am I? And how do I ever know with certainty the answer to that question? And what Paul tells us is that in the gospel, in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, what was broken is being restored. So no wonder Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. In the presence of Jesus and in the place of the gospel, what is completely impossible otherwise becomes possible. You can know who you are. For us to know our true and life-giving identity, we must look not more at ourselves. In fact, as we enter into life in Christ, Jesus himself told us that we must die to self. Forgetting self and looking instead to Jesus in whose image we were created and are being made. I asked you before to allow yourself tonight to be discipled, to be formed by the word of God. Formed into what? into the likeness of your rabbi, into the image of him who is all in all. As we look not at ourselves, but at Jesus, you will come, I promise you, into a greater sense of who you are. To a place of peace in relationship to who you are. A modern Western worldview, both egocentric and highly individualized, ultimately leads to these two ends of low self-esteem and hubris. But when we come to life in Christ, we experience by the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit a third and marvelous option, which Paul calls a new self. One that is marked not by low self-esteem or high self-esteem, but by what Keller calls a gospel humility. A place where my identity is shaped not by what I do. My identity is not shaped by what I have done or by what I have left undone. But is anchored in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. How else does the main apostle of the church say to the church, with no shame whatsoever, I am the chief of sinners? But that he knows his identity is grounded in the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. One more quote from Keller. True gospel humility means an ego that is not puffed up, 
but filled up. This is totally unique. Are we talking about high self-esteem? No. So is it low self-esteem? Certainly not. It's not about self-esteem. Paul simply refuses to play this game. He says, I don't care about your opinion, but I don't care that much about my opinion. And that's the secret. A true gospel humble person is not a self-hating person or a self-loving person, but a gospel humble person. One who knows that but for the grace of God, I don't stand here. And I certainly don't have a clear sense of who I am. And who I am is actually only true and possible because of who Jesus is and what he's done. It has nothing to do with who I am and what I've done. How exactly does this work? Well, simply only works because of Jesus. The only way that we can put on the new self that Paul is here describing is to be free from the cultural prison of the old self. And this is only possible because of who Jesus is and what he's done. In his death, he set us free from the old self because he took the sins of the world upon him and he took it to the grave. And in his resurrection, and the power of the resurrection, he made a way for us to put on the new self. It's all Jesus. And it's all really good news. Sarah, in our prayer today, was reminding us of the power and the good news of the gospel. I think what she said literally was, um, the gospel is like really good news. Better news than we've known. And this is that kind of news. And it's especially good news for those who feel oppressed and who are living in the throes of mental health oppression, who live in, in, in a total confusion around identity, who struggle and who are exhausted from the dance of low self-esteem and hubris and who have lived under the effects of those who have tried to say that's the way to figure out who you are. The gospel is really good news because it says you can put off the old self and put on a new self. One who knows who they are. A new self that is in fact self-forgetful in that it's not concerned with others' opinions of who I am, but equally unconcerned with my own opinion of myself and caught up in the opinion of God, in the Word of God, the declaration of God, who speaks over your life like he did the Father spoke over Jesus. This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Before he'd done anything at all, Ministry-wise, his identity is spoken over him. Isn't that incredible? Instead, we're made free to live in the identity that's ours in Jesus Christ. One that allows us to declare with Paul, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I've been crucified with Christ, Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a freedom to answer the invitation of Jesus when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. You see how upside down that is? Bring that into your next counseling session. Ah. That we would point people to Jesus. I think we'd, man, we'd need a lot less counseling sessions and they'd go a lot quicker. <laughs> Says the guy who does counseling sessions every Monday with guys for hours. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, in other words, die, and follow me. Put your eyes on Jesus. And be, as Colossians says, renewed in the knowledge of the one whose image you are being formed into. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And Jesus understood this. The one who seeks to get this figured out the way the world would encourage us to, and certainly our Canadian world today, it won't work, Jesus says. You seek your life, you will lose it. You try and figure out who you are and pin that down, you try and become the author of that answer, you will lose it. And I'll tell you right now, that is what I'm seeing all around me. That pursuit is not leading people to life, it's leading to greater and greater confusion. That pursuit of life is leading to the very loss of the thing that is so deeply desired. But, Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As you come to the table tonight, church, would you come and consider welcoming a heart of self-forgetfulness? I don't know that we can come to the table really without dying. To really engage in the good news of Jesus at the table is to recognize the one we follow and to recognize that he gave his body and his blood and only in him do we have life. And so as we come to the table, would you consider tonight, even as you come up out of your chair and forward to receive, to step up out of a cultural weight idea, and to pray that the Spirit would set you free to a place of self-forgetfulness. Here we are set free from the cultural prison of self. <laughs> Let it be true of us, Lord. To a place of union with Christ and with his people. And it's here at the table that tonight we pray, asking that we might put on the new self, being renewed in knowledge after the image of Christ. Let's come to the table. Adam, if you'd come.
Lord, we confess tonight as we come to the table that in many ways we have, um, I love Timothy Keller kept saying, Paul won't play that game. I, I confess, Lord, that I have often played that game. And my heart is somewhat wired for it, that having grown up a Canadian kid, there's a part of me that, that thinks that uh, self-actualization and sort of a, a self-focus is healthy and needed for me to be healthy. And God, I just confess to you tonight that I'm, I'm declaring tonight personally that I, I reject that lie in the name of Jesus. I choose to believe that if I can become self-forgetful, that I have a God who ever has me in mind that I am not forgotten, and that I won't lose myself, but I will find myself in you, Jesus. And I am desperate for that tonight. I'm tired of living out of insecurity or feeling like I need to somehow shift from that into a place of hubris in order to be effective or of value in this life. And God, I pray it for our church tonight. We want to know who we are. We want a clear and true sense of identity. We're desperate for it. And so tonight we put off the old self and we come to you, we come to your table and we ask that here in the place of repentance, just like the father received the prodigal son, that you would come and that you would begin to place on us by your spirit marks of our identity. Huh. That you would come and that you would place on us the, the family robe and the family ring. for us is that when people see us they wouldn't see us but they'd see Jesus the more and more every day it would be true of us that no longer we live but Christ who lives in us Jesus would you come church I just bless you tonight in this place and in response to the word of God tonight to make your humble confession to the Lord as we prepare our hearts to come to his table would you make your confession to the Lord